Well, you wouldn't be able to tell from today, but this is typical for the first Sunday after uh, Christmas. But we've had uh, the highest attendance uh, of our history this year at Servants Church. We've averaged about 170 uh, Sunday, which is really good, regular attendance, which is really great. Uh, we've also had the highest uh, uh, income this year for the first uh, of any years previous. We've brought in, we've seen more money come in, which is uh, a testimony to your generosity as well as the, the work of our generous God in your hearts. Um, and most important, we've seen uh, not only more uh, more times the gospel being shared, whether it's through giving out leaflets or, or talk to you or people uh, being brought to faith uh, this year in Servants Church, 2015, than we've ever seen before. And so, amen. We praise God for all that. We really do. We're really thankful for growth. Growth is a really good thing. In fact, one of the great things about Christmas is that seeing this reality of God taking on human flesh, coming as, a, as an infant, really coming as... Uh, an embryo and developing in, in Mary's womb and being born and, and, and raising and living a, a normal human life. That is like God putting a validation on the process of growth. Growth is a good thing, no doubt about that. But I have to say, as, as of looking back on this year and thinking about the good things that God has done and giving thanks for God for what He's done, I was actually really challenged Challenged by this idea of measuring growth by buildings or budgets or bodies in the seats. And, and, and really thinking about how, how do we measure growth? When I stand before Jesus face to face one day, when I face my Lord and He tests the works that I've done, He's not going to measure things based on how much money was raised, how many people came to church, uh, what kinds of of uh, buildings that you guys acquire. He's going to measure it by something greater. He's going to measure it by love. And I've been really challenged about this because last year God had put it really clearly in my heart uh, that 2015 was to be a year of sowing. And, I, and I, I think God's confirmed that. I think looking back, man, Lord, that was really your spirit leading us, that we were meant to sow. And we have. We've seen this regular street outreach. Once a month at least we're going out sharing the gospel with people. As I said, we've seen more of the gospel being shared this year than probably ever before. Uh, we started a Sunday night service, and even though that's kind of remained small numerically, we've been blessed to see uh, uh, someone come from off the street who would never have come this Sunday morning because they work Sunday morning, receive Christ, uh, and he's walking with the Lord today, and we're really thankful for that. And, and we've also, you know, we've just seen uh, God do some really good things in our own lives as we've wanted to sow uh, the seed of his word. And so God was faithful in that, but this year what God's really put on my heart for us as a church and, and for myself as a Jesus follower is that I'd grow in love, grow in love for God, grow in love for God's people, grow in love for God's word, grow in love for the lost, that that would be the measurement. That's how I would know. I want to, if the Lord does, if Jesus doesn't come back in 2016, I hope that, that this time next year I can look back and say, Lord, you've grown me. I've increased in love. And the reason I want to share these three verses with you today is because there's no way we're going to increase in love for God or love for others or love for His Word or love for the lost unless we can increase and grow in our understanding of His love for us. You know, the Bible says in the book of Jude that we are to keep ourselves 
in the love of God. It doesn't mean keep ourselves lovable. We'll see today there's nothing really lovable about us. It means keep it in that place, stay in that place that we know that we know that we know that we're loved by God. What does that mean? So let's talk about that this morning. John writes in 1 John, he says, in verse 8, he says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So John wants to make sure his readers are really clear about the reality that that they can't know what love is. They can't know love, experience love, unless they know God. Now, when John says God is love, he said a similar thing earlier in, in this epistle. He talked about that God is light. John records Jesus saying in John chapter 4 that God is spirit. And so when he makes these kind of definitive statements, it's not the same as saying that love is God or light is God or anything spiritual is God. It's not the same thing as saying that. You can't reverse those terms. When John says that love is God, he's not saying if you feel love, that's God. Or if you're in love, that's God. Or if you just show love, that's God. Not necessarily the case. Any more than if you turn on a light bulb, that's God. Or if you see a ghost, that's God. Do you see what I'm saying? John wants to make sure that his readers understand that it's God who defines love, not just love that defines God. And this is important because if we're going to grow in God's love for us, if we're going to grow in appreciating and accessing and experiencing God's love for us, a love that doesn't change, a love that can't increase or decrease as we're in Christ, if we're going to grow in that, we have to understand that that love is based on who He is. It's a love that's always been. Now, Jesus prayed about this very thing in John chapter 17, verse 24. This is what's called, John 17 is what's called Jesus' high priestly prayer. Listen to what Jesus prayed. He said, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now you have to understand a few terms here because this is really, of course, a weighty, a very meaty prayer. When Jesus talks about that they may behold my glory, they, by the way, is speaking of us. In the context, he's praying for those who would believe in him through the apostles' preaching. That's us. And so when he says they, he says he wants them, he wants us to behold his glory. Remember what glory is. When we see glory in the New Testament, glory is the unique value of somebody. So we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the unique value of God. What is God like? His unique attributes. So like the Proverbs talk about that the glory of a young man is his strength. The glory of an old man is his gray hair, or in my case, no hair. But there's some unique value to a young, a young man that he's at his peak. He can be his, he's known by his strength usually. Well, there's th- something about God, who God is, that's unique. A uniqueness to God that is, is, is connected to the fact that he is love. Now, when Jesus says here in John 17 that uh, he says, Father, you've loved me before the foundation of the world. That phrase, foundation of the world, is always a reference to eternity past. That before time began, what always was. And the Bible teaches us, guys, about our God, about the God of Scripture, that there's something unique about our God. That the God of Jesus is not the same as the God of the Muslims or the God of Jehovah's Witnesses 
or the God of Mormons. Because the God of Scripture is the three-in-one. The Bible teaches us that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit has always existed. He is one. And because He's the three-in-one, He's able to exist in His own as love. There's this perfect love between the Father and Son that is produced through the work of the Spirit in them. That they have this love that's eternal, that's real. And it's important to understand that because sometimes we get this idea because we do understand, and rightly so, love has to have an object that we think, oh, okay, God was lonely. God was by himself in heaven. And so you thought, gosh, I wish I had some people that I could love. Boom, he makes people. But that's not the case. God is love. God has always been love. God will always be love in himself. The love between God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit is eternal and perfect and full of joy. And everything that we long for is found in what they've already experienced for eternity past and do experience for eternity present. So when we talk about God being love, we're talking about the fact that He exists in this way. In fact, here's the reality. We only love as people because we're first loved. Even people who aren't believers, they only show love because they've received love from somebody else, whether it's an idea from somebody else or the actual experience of love from somebody else. Everybody only loves as human beings because they've been loved first. But God loves because He is love. This is important. I know it's kind of deep stuff, but it's so important. Because it's understanding that God is love that is the foundation for every other love that comes out of our life. The kind of love that we long to experience, the kind of love that we long to to communicate only happens if we receive it from the God who is love. Now, I want to give you some practical things as we go through this, these three verses, about how we can potentially really grow in love from God. And and the first thing is this. If you guys had your little half sheet of notes that's there on on your chairs is that I think one of the things that we're going to do, if, if God defines love, if we can't know love unless we know God, one of the things that we can do about this is we can learn about the attributes of God. Anybody here read any books on the attributes of God? And you know what I mean by that. Anybody ever read those books? Okay, a few of you guys have. Okay, good. Let me encourage you to do something. In fact, I think it's on your notes. A couple of books that I really highly recommend you read, and these are not super heady, like really hard to understand, Okay. And they're both only about 100 pages. They're not really long books. And because the, the goal is that we'd grow in love for the year, you've got a year to read both these books, okay? So I think you can do this, all right? One book is a book called uh, The Good God by a guy named Michael, Rave, Michael Reeves. Great book, especially about the Trinity. You want to understand the Trinity, uh, that our God is three in one? Great book to read. Really practical, very easy to read, very solid. Buy that book. It's like a tenor. Another great book, a book that really inspired me, was the first book I ever read on the attributes of God, was a book called The Knowledge of the Holy by a guy named A.W. Tozer. Again, it's about 120 pages. He wrote another book about the attributes of God. It's like two volumes. You can get that too if you want, but uh, we make our our pastoral interns read that. But I would suggest start with a 120-page one. The reason is because when you begin to understand how God has revealed himself, how the kind of character God has, the kind of attributes that God has, and you recognize that this three-in-one God is love. You realize, man, that's, he's who I need. He's what I want. He's, he's, 
He's what I've been made for. We can learn about the attributes of God. There's, there's a practical way we can grow in, in love uh, from God, and that's understanding about who this God is who loves us so, the fact that he is loved. So that's verse 8. Verse 9 says this, right? Now in this is the love of God, notice, was manifested towards us. Manifested. Not created, but manifested. Because God's always been love. It's not like new love is springing out of him. God is just expressing his love, manifesting it, showing his love by what? What does it say? He's shown it towards us by what? Verse 9. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world. This is why? That we might live through him. So not only does God define love, but listen, God demonstrates love. God doesn't say, okay, here's this idea, love. Isn't it lovely? No, because God is love, he says, here's what it looks like when I work. Boom, he sends Jesus. This is what it looks like. This is what love looks like when it acts. Jesus. And this is important too. Because God wants us to understand this is not him creating a new love like I said for us, but this is him just showing us his love. We see his love manifested in what Christ did and who Christ is and how Christ lived. But notice also this is not just about us feeling love. Now, I say just because I do believe that God wants us to experience. I do think God desires us to experience his love. When the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 5 about how the love of God has been shed abroad upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit, I don't think that's just a theological understanding. I believe that God wants us to know the joy of being loved by him. How wonderful it is. And some of us have tasted that and maybe haven't hungered for it as much as we should. God wants us to experience his love for us. But it's not just about feeling. Listen, it's not just being feeling how much he loves us. It's being changed by that love to the inside out. Notice how, what he says. Notice what he says in verse 9. He says that we might live through him, through Christ. Now understand what, what John's saying here. John wants us to understand that what his desire is for us is that we need to live through Christ. In other words, that, that indicates that we're dead apart from Christ. See, that's the, that's the tough thing for us to accept. We love the idea that God is love. We hate the idea that we are not. But we're really not. In fact, uh, the Bible says so much that we need to recognize our need for God. This is another practical way that we can grow in God's love for us is recognizing that we have this great need for Jesus. We wouldn't even understand what love looks like if it wasn't for Jesus. It's amazing how many times I'll be talking to, to unbelievers uh, about things and they'll talk about, oh, I think the most important thing is love and they'll begin to kind of bring up a, maybe what their moral stance is and what they think is most important about life and about love. And a lot of times I'm going, yeah, I totally agree. I agree with what you're saying. But I, I have to say to them if we have a deep enough conversation, I have to say to them, do you realize that that morality, that idea that love is supreme, you borrowed that? <laughs> you, you, you borrowed that from Christianity? That's, that's from the gospel? That if Jesus wouldn't have come, you would never have had that? It's not taught anywhere else. It's not seen anywhere else. Begun with Christ in the gospel. But do we also realize, listen, that this is the only way we're ever going to experience or express love. 
We, it, it's so dramatic that it's not just about us kind of trying to grow somehow or mature somehow or learn somehow. This is about us dying and being resurrected. In the same way that Christ had to die and resurrect, we need to die with him and be resurrected with him to understand and experience this love. This is what Paul gets to in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. His death is my death. It's no longer I who live, but notice, Christ lives in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, that is in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is, what, this is the, the, the radical change that God needs to bring in our life through Christ, that we're dependent upon Jesus for. We're dependent upon Jesus' death for our death, his resurrection for our resurrection. This is what we're called to abide in. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. And neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. For without me, notice, you can do nothing. He goes on to say in the same chapter, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. See, guys, it's God who demonstrates this love. And so if we're going to grow in our understanding of his love for us, we need to abide in that. We need to stay put right there. It's only because of Jesus I understand love. It's only because of Jesus I get to experience love. It's only because of Jesus that I'm secure in love. I need him. On a daily basis, I need him. So God defines love, God demonstrates love, and here's the last bit. God initiates love. John writes in verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Now I want you to think about this for a second. God who is love. God who, according to the book of James, which is the book we're gonna start next week, by the way, according to the book of James, Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. So everything good in your life, every good relationship, all your physical health, the, the, the fact that you are uh, able to think and reason, everything good in your life, anything that you would identify as good, all good things flow from the hand of God. This good God has given us all things richly to enjoy. This good God who is love, who deserves to be loved, this is the God that we neglect. This is the God that we ignore. This is the God that we rebel against. And this is important for us to understand as well. If we're going to grow in, in God's love for us, not God's love growing for us, but if we're going to grow in God's love for us, it's important for us to understand Remember when Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. I mean, probably most of us here have been challenged by those words, but have you ever been felt threatened by those words or even disturbed by those words? I mean, I want you to think about this for a second. Think about how unjust it actually is. That Jesus would call us, if we follow him, to actually love the people who hate us. 
to bless the people who treat us badly. How can that be justice? That, that seems wrong. It doesn't make much sense until you realize that Jesus is only calling us to do what he first did to us. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 5? Listen, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's eyes, or God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still, notice, his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Do you realize that? Do you realize it's not just about us being, oh, I just didn't know any better. I didn't know who God is. No, it's more than that. It's bigger than that. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 1 that though from, from creation itself we can know there's a creator and we can know things about his attributes. We can see the beauty of the world and know that he's good. We can see the provision of the world and know that he's generous. From, 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 from creation we can see that there is a creator who's worthy to be worshipped and thanked. But the Bible says, but instead we suppress that knowledge, we push it away and we're not thankful and instead, we form little gods that we want to worship in, in, in his place. This is what we do naturally. We push God away. We rebel against God naturally. And we, as, he, as his enemies, you know what he does, says to us? He says, here's a condition of peace. Here's a way that we can be at peace with one another. And not just the fact that we won't be enemies, but also friends. But even more than that, you can be sons and daughters. You can be adopted into my family. He loves his enemies. And this is important because when we talk about God initiating love, listen, this is always the case. There will never be a time in your existence where God has not initiated love. <laughs> never. I mean, even now, I mean, you, you might have got up this morning and thought, man, I really don't want to go to church. You know, I'm, just, I'm tired. I've, I've been partying all week and I just want to rest, you know. I ate way too much the last four days and I just want to sleep. You might have been thinking that. Oh, but you know what? I don't want to discourage my brothers and sisters and, and I'll go and I'll endure another one of John's long sermons and I'll do it. And you might have thought, having those kinds of thoughts, man, I'm a pretty loving person. <laughs> do you realize the only reason you ever had any thoughts like that, that you want to endure past yourself, is because God loved you first and He continues to initiate that relationship, He continues to initiate that love and produce that love in your life? Do you recognize that? Well, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you don't have a choice to make. Of course you have a choice to make. What I'm saying is it's God who initiates this constantly, continuously, always. He initiates love. Now, how can we grow in this practically as well? We've already talked about some books you can read. Uh, we talked about recognizing our need for God. That's a constant thing, our need for Jesus but also I think it's it just sometimes simply meditating on God's word. Meditating on the, on, on the things that, that really tell us about God's unchanging love for us. Can I make three suggestions, three chapters that you can meditate on? Do you guys know what I mean by meditate? I don't mean like empty your mind and cross your legs and do something strange. I mean to think, to think upon. To meditate means to, to chew on mentally. 
It means to think about what does this mean? Why is this here? Why is it written? Or who does this apply to? How does this work? It's asking questions. It's, it's meditating and finding the answers there. It's thinking about something over and over again. I would encourage you this year to spend some time meditating on these three chapters. Maybe pick, you know, John chapter 3 for the first four months of the year where you just maybe read a verse every few days and just chew on a verse, think about it. And then in the middle four uh, months might be 1 Corinthians 13. Again, you just pick a verse and you kind of chew on it and you think about it. Maybe the last part might be Romans chapter 8. These are three chapters that are, are, are really about God's love for us. They tell us how we access it. They, they talk about how, how to describe what it looks like how it affects how we minister and serve each other, how we can be assured that we're not separated from that love. These are good things to think about. Now, here's the reality. This year, if this year is going to be a year that we grow in love, that we really do love God more at the end of 2016 than we did at the beginning, if this is really a year where we learn to love each other more at the end of 2016 than we did at the beginning, if this, if this is going to be a year we love His Word, we learn to love the lost, we really can say tangibly, God's grown me in this. It's only going to happen if we understand His love for us. It's only going to happen if we're growing in that. We're about to start the book of James. And the, the whole theme of James is faith that works. It's the expression of saving faith. What does saving faith look like? What does it look like when we really trust Jesus? What does it look like to follow Him in practical ways? Why James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's very practical. And the reality is, we might read these things and study these things and be convicted. We might create some new programs as a church where we are trying to be more effective in doing some of the things that are listed in the book of James, but it will be for naught unless we understand it has to flow from God's love for us, from the God who defines love, from the God who's demonstrated love through Christ, from the God who initiates love always. It's got to be from that.